This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. In Sergei Rachmaninoff's final composition, The Symphonic Dances, he included a musical struggle between death, the Dies Irae, and music from his all-night vigil representing resurrection. 72 years after Rachmaninoff was buried in upstate New York, there is now a struggle over his final resting place. Russia's culture minister sparked an international debate by announcing that he wants to reclaim Rachmaninoff's remains from a cemetery in Valhalla, New York. But the composer's descendants have balked at that, pointing out that he died in the United States after decades outside of Russia in self-imposed political exile. We have two guests to look at the implications of this debate. Simon Morrison is in the studio. He is a professor of music and Slavic studies at Princeton University and a leading authority on Russian music. On the phone from Chicago is Wells Kaufman, president of the Sergei Rachmaninoff Foundation, a nonprofit that supports concerts and education events. Wells is also the president and CEO of the Ravinia Festival. Simon, why has Russia's culture minister, Vladimir Medinsky, suddenly brought this up? Why he suddenly brought it up uh, the past month is a good question. Uh, this matter actually about uh, the remains of Rachmaninoff has been discussed and investigated by Russian officials for the last year or so. And uh, the discussion about where he's buried or interred and whether or not he should be there still or whether he should go somewhere else, uh, Russia obviously, that's been discussed since uh, Rachmaninoff's state in Switzerland, Sanar, uh, was purchased by an oligarch with pretty close connections to Vladimir Putin. So uh, the fact that Medinsky publicly uh, put on his website recently that he was interested in uh, moving these remains back to Russia, uh, that was the sort of public uh, recognition of a process that had been taking place behind the scenes or a discussion that had been taking place behind the scenes for uh, over a year. And um, I was to some degree involved in finding out uh, whether or not Mr. Rachmaninoff had expressed a desire to be buried Tell anywhere. me about that. The director of the Russian State Archive of Literature and Art, a person named Tatiana Garyaeva, was, I believe, instructed from her head, uh, which is Rosarchiv, which is uh, under the direction of uh, the Minister of Culture and the Ministry of Culture, to find out um, whether, in fact, in any document, a Rachmaninoff had expressed a desire specifically to be buried in Russia. And because I'm close to her and uh, close to that archive and have worked there many years and also know the deputy director there, they contacted me to find out whether or not there is any of this sort of epistolary evidence. And? Um, first of all, I just went to the Princeton Library and looked in our books on, on uh, Rachmaninoff. And I must say uh, the biographical literature on the composer is pretty slim. Um, in fact, it's uh, something of a musicological disgrace that there isn't a more comprehensive biography of him. But um, I found that there's references to kind of a nostalgic pining for the homeland now and again. But in fact, he never, ever in any document said he wanted to be buried in Russia. He said after he acquired or he purchased this estate in Sinar, he wrote a letter, a short note to his uh, sister-in-law, Sofia Satina, and he said to her, if I must die... If. <laughs> clearly, he was not in favor of dying. I don't think many people are. But he said, if I must die, then this wouldn't be a bad place to be buried. I'm Meaning paraphrasing. Sinar. Switzerland. Switzerland. Not Russian Federation, um, not Greater Russian Empire, uh, not Moscow, not St. Petersburg, not where he was born, nothing. 
he didn't express a desire to be buried anywhere, as far as I know. And the one comment he made was sort of off the cuff. This is a nice enough place that you would want to sort of rest here for a good time. That's all the evidence I found. But nonetheless, if I can continue on this, that scrap was sufficient for, first of all, I um, contacted the LOC, Library of Congress, and spoke with the head of the music department there and fetched uh, the Russian original of a comment that had been translated and published in well, fairly light biography by uh, Jay Leda, and got the original of that and um, produced and typed out the Russian text and sent it to the Russian officials. Uh, that wasn't enough proof. They needed the actual <laughs> facsimile in their hands. So, in fact, folks came over to uh, Washington, D.C. from Moscow uh, on Aeroflot, and uh, they went to find the box in which this document was. They didn't find it, so there was panicked emails to me in a cold night at the beginning of this year, and um, I found the box number, and they found it there in the, in the Sofia Satina correspondence and got a hold of it. We're happy with that. There was some a meeting that took place, I was told by the Russians, with an official associated with the State Department about this matter of reinternment. And I was brought in as, I guess, some sort of osteomusicological <laughs> kind of expert. <laughs> Ultimately, what happened was whatever discussion took place, which would have been just a polite diplomatic discussion, blew up immediately with the whole Crimea mess. Ah. Um, so that was the end of that. But nonetheless, there was um, you know, a serious effort to find evidence, and I directed um, these folks to what evidence I myself could find on this matter. Wells, what is the Rachmaninoff Foundation's connection to the composer, and what do you think of Russia's efforts? Well, uh, if I first might say, I think, uh, is it Dr. Morrison? I, I'm guessing it is. He's, he's exactly right about why this is coming up right now. And it does have to do with Sonar, and it does have to do with Sergei Rachmaninoff's grandson, Alexander, who started the Rachmaninoff Foundation specifically to preserve Sonar and to make it a study center, possibly a place for special performances possibly a compositional or musical retreat along the lines of something like the McDowell Colony, uh, but also to make sure that some of the less frequently played works of Rachmaninoff got played. So the fourth and first piano concertos, the first symphony, the first piano sonata, the operas. When Alexander, uh, the grandson, passed away, it'll be about three years this coming November, that put into play what would happen to Sonar and how would uh, his wishes, the grandson, um, be played out and how would it involve the heirs of Alexander, the great-grandchildren. And that has been in discussion ever since. To my knowledge, unless something happened in the last 24 hours, in fact, no one has purchased Sonar. There was someone close to uh, Vladimir Putin who was interested in it, but that purchase did not happen. That's correct. Um, um, that purchase, there was, um, there was a, a strong effort. Yeah. about how there might be a disposition around the, the estate, uh, which is quite beautiful, and Rachmaninoff himself was, had a hand in designing it. It's a sort of Bauhaus design, um, very rarely seen by anyone in the public, uh, right on the shores of Lake Lucerne in Vekas. And that is where his piano lives. It's where he wrote the Paganini Rhapsody and a variety of other works that we know and love. But he was not living there when he passed away. He went to the States in either 38 or 39, and of course passed in 43. The Foundation's take on this through our artistic council, who is the pianist Denis Matsuev, 
is that uh, it must be um, in consult with all of the heirs. They are the ones um, who must weigh in most importantly on this. And as you probably are aware, the other side of the family from Alexander, the grandson who I knew very well and who started the foundation, they have weighed in through Susan Wanamaker that uh, they don't want uh, the remains to be reburied. There are some questions about what, what Alexander himself wanted for his grandfather's remains. Sinar had come up. It is a very beautiful locale. Many of the great works were, were written there. He was very happy there, Sergei Rachmaninoff, so that makes a lot of sense as well. The BBC quotes the Russian culture minister as claiming that Americans have neglected the composer's grave while attempting to shamelessly privatize his name. Now, I actually visited the Kensico Cemetery just last year. And so I can say for a fact that this is not true. It is possibly the most gorgeous grave in the cemetery, extremely beautifully well kept up. So what is behind this argument from Russia? Well, this is this is really bleak comedy, I find, because currently, do you know Moscow has just passed through its 868th anniversary? which is not not a number you would think of as particularly significant, but it was just an excuse to once again repave all the sidewalks in downtown Moscow. Um, originally, they were redone by the sort of ex-wife or the current mayor of Moscow. But one of the strange things that emerged from this was a real attempt to sort of gussy up the big cemetery in central Moscow, Novodevichy Cemetery. And there was all this effort, and I know this from Prokofiev's side, to sort of refurbish and redo all the neglected gravestones. And this complaint about uh, Valhalla, about the uh, Rachmaninoff site, um, is part and parcel of a discussion that was going on within Moscow about their own, uh, about the Tchaikovsky site, about uh, Prokofiev, and so forth. So it's part and parcel of the same phenomenon. I just want to add with regard to Sanar that the oligarch in question, that's right, there was a purchase that was going through, and it fell through just in time, you know, in tandem with the sort of financial problems that have taken place there, sanctions, et cetera. Meantime, however, a very, very valuable uh, Rachmaninoff manuscript came on the market, the Second Symphony. There's a manuscript came uh, for sale, and uh, I was aware of this and you know, passed this information on to our archive because it was going on market, and you'd want people to study this document, and poof, it disappeared into the hands of some collector oligarch. So you know, we lost that document. This was a manuscript that had been... On, it was put on sale. In Sonar or just... I, I don't know its providence, but um, it was put on sale in one of the auction houses, Sotheby's or Christie's. It and was not in Sonar. It was not in Sonar. And it was purchased, and you know, now we don't get to study it since it just fell into a rich person's hands. I think it's interesting on the manuscript question. My understanding from Alexander is that Rachmaninoff's widow gave most of the manuscripts to the Library of Congress out of gratitude to the U.S. and FDR for granting them citizenship in America. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows if that's part of what is bringing all of this up as well. Well, there was, a, there was an initiative on the part of the Glinka Museum in Moscow, which has the bulk of his uh, earlier documents, the sort of pre-departure documents, to yep. actually, even a sort of weird database initiative of actually consolidating the holdings at the LOC with the Glinka Museum so that all of Rachmaninoff would be available. So basically, this is kind of an attempt on the part of the Russians through funding from the Minister of Culture to sort of re-embrace um, and to reclaim documents, not only bones, that are existing abroad, uh, either through facsimiles or through, through United databases. And the Glinka Museum, uh, because it is a, a consortium of cultural institutions, is in fact the institution that's responsible for maintaining grave sites as well as apartment museums as all the rest of it. And so this matter of Valhalla, 
um, is related. The cemetery is, is, in New York. It's part of the same As opposed kind to of, the yeah, Wagner, yes. Reclaiming the, the, the legacy, the spirit, you know, everything, and right down to the dirt and the bones of, of these, you know, uh, venerable figures. So you're saying that this has more to do with the cemetery in Moscow and wanting it to sort of be a complete set rather than anything else? To my mind, this is part of the general Medinsky arch-nationalist program. And when I say it's a kind of la-la land nationalism, Moscow is very much this sort of faux imperial city that it never was in the first place that's been recreated there. There's an effort to sort of reclaim um, just like, you know, I hate to say it, but just like after the revolution, uh, Stalin was very interested in sort of repatriating uh, these sort of celebrities that had gone abroad. The same move is taking place, but in a broader way to sort of reestablish imperial culture back in Russia. So what are Denis Matsuyev's interests or actions now on behalf of the Rachmaninoff Foundation? What is he doing vis-a-vis this? He is in contact with um, the culture minister, as are other people, to make clear that the foundation's position is that the heirs must be consulted and they have sort of the most important role in this, but also that there's a religious question around the Russian Orthodox Church and whether such a reburial is, is, is allowed within religious structures and, and a lot of other issues as well. But those are the two main things that Dennis has made clear to the minister um, uh, from the foundation's perspective. What leverage does Russia ultimately have with moving Rachmaninoff's body if there's no evidence that he wanted to be buried in Russia? Well, from my position, it seems that they thought that this could be a kind of cultural exchange diplomatic initiative where if they convince somebody at the State Department involved in culture to actually have a conversation with the heirs and with the foundation and Rachmaninoff institutions within this country, there could be a move to do it as a sort of goodwill gesture. But there is actually no, to my mind, uh, uh, knowledge, any sort of legal or practical way in which this could happen at all. Um, In the past, uh, there was, uh, in the Soviet period, uh, there was a manner in which, pretty nefarious ways in which the materials would be reclaimed from abroad, basically by pressuring, i.e. threatening heirs or confiscating things, but, uh, you know, even through use of agents to confiscate things, both at home and abroad, but uh, that really doesn't happen anymore and can't happen. The Rachmaninoff Foundation's official stance is whatever the heirs want, that's what you want? Well, that the, perhaps not as blanket as that, but certainly that they must be the first to go to in terms of consult, yes. I think the bigger question here is to do with, you know, Russia right now is redefining itself uh, with Medinsky, whose whose position is actually really shaky right now, and whether or not he lasts in that job, given all the controversies and some of the censorship that has been outrageous that has taken place there. That's an open question. There's been talk that he actually, his days are numbered. But uh, be that as it may, there's a, a real strong effort from the top directed to actually reestablish Russia as a kind of civilized otherness uh, vis-a-vis the West. And that actually, to some degree, means kind of picking up where the revolution left off and going back into a period in time in which we imagine that never happened or that (laughs) administration, as Putin has called it, (laughs) uh, never took place. And uh, Mr. Rachmaninoff was not compelled for various reasons that we still do not know the answer to to leave that country, under what circumstances. We do not know a lot of things about his departure. We do not know a lot of things about why, for example, he quit uh, his conducting job at the Bolshoi Theater in 1907. Um, His departure from the country is murky. Um, We know that um, the odd thing that took place with Rachmaninoff, like so many emigre Russian composers, is they became Russian once they were gone. 
And certainly those symphonic dances and the idea that it might have been a composition for Fokin um, and based on the Scythia and so forth, the ballet piece and all the rest of it is a very profoundly Russian piece. This often happens. And there's this sort of odd kind of mystical nationalist mindset thing that goes on where, you know, it's it's very much the experience of uh, visionaries and great artists from Russia that part of their experience of being Russian means you have to live a good part of your time outside of Russia. Why it is that Russians, uh, the Russian politicians, don't actually like the idea that Russianness is everywhere or the idea that actually what makes Russian culture is a lot of borrowings from abroad, uh, why that is not something that they can countenance is beyond me. But there's very much an idea that bring it all back within the borders. And if the facts get in the way, the facts are conspiracy. <laughs> if reality gets in the way, reality is a conspiracy. You know. Wells, I'm going to give you the final word here. I think everything... Uh, Dr. Morrison is talking about is is dead on accurate. This idea that we can bring everything back and start up again um, does seem to be what's going on. And, and I, I understand that in the sense that Rachmaninoff is a great composer, right? And, and uh, a, a huge figure in, in music, uh, 20th century, especially as someone who went against the tide on what was happening musically in the 20th century um, for so many reasons and was a great conductor and a great pianist and a great composer and a a triple threat in so many ways. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were Rachmaninoff Foundation President Wells Kaufman and Princeton University Professor Simon Morrison. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.